Join me in turning to the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, where we'll be today, Matthew chapter 28. Have you ever noticed how God gets blamed for saying a lot of things that He never actually said? Uh, I've heard a lot of quotes attributed to God that He did not make. I've heard it said that God tells us that He helps those who help themselves. I'm sure you've heard that one. And uh, there may be some wisdom in that statement, I'm not sure, but I know this much, I read the Bible. It's not in there. God never said those exact words. God helps those who, who help themselves. I know there's another statement, and it goes like this, waste not, want not. I've heard people say that God tells us that. And uh, again, not in the Bible. God did not say that. Is there some wisdom in being frugal and careful and so forth? Sure there is, but God didn't say that. Benjamin Franklin said that, and he's not God. Uh, I know there's another statement that my mom used to often quote with great reverence and solemnity. She would get very serious as though she were uttering the very words of God. And she would say, cleanliness is next to godliness. And I think she really believed that was in the Bible somewhere. And if it wasn't in the Bible, she thought it probably should have been, you know. And uh, so she'd tell me all the time, cleanliness is next to godliness. Uh, I've told our church before how my mom on Saturday morning, she would leave and give me a list of things to do. And, and uh, my, every Saturday of my life involved a bucket of warm water with pine salt in it. Pine salt to my mom was the fragrance of a germ-free existence, all right? And if you could smell pine salt, it was a good thing. And so she would often tell me to uh, do cleaning around the house and give me a list. She'd leave one list with a variety of items. Now, there were times over the years where I would take the one list and I'd just forget it altogether. Now, back in the day, you know, this wrestling, professional wrestling today, it's not real. But when I was growing up, it was, okay? And we had the classics back then. Hulk Hogan, Dusty Rhodes, you know, Junkyard Dog, great men of the faith. No, I don't think they were at all. But, but at any rate, if there was a big match on TV, I, I would sometimes get glued into that wrestling. You know, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, and, and uh, oh, there were a lot of them. Jimmy Superfly, Snuka. Can I get a witness this morning? Somebody say amen. A couple of you. Okay, very good. And uh, there were a few times where mom would return, and I would have avoided the entire list because there were some other better things to do. Maybe I'd play with my friends or watch cartoons, but I'd avoid the list altogether. And that's not good because it'd make my mom feel bad that I didn't do what she asked me to do and I didn't like making my mom feel bad and, and uh, yet there were those times. But there were other times frankly where mom would give me one list with a variety of things to do and I would focus on one item on the list and neglect the others. I'm thinking of one Saturday in particular where my mom asked me to go and clean the garage and so uh, I went in there and that was just one item on the list, yet I went in there and I, I got busy. Now, some of you will know what I'm talking about. You have a similar problem that I have. Uh, usually once a year, sometimes twice a year, okay? No, I've gone a year and this hasn't happened. I don't think it's ever happened three times in a year, but normally about once a year, sometimes twice a year. This compulsion just comes over me, and I have to clean and organize stuff, all right? I don't know if it's a sickness or what it is, but that day, that compulsion came over me. And mom said, uh, clean the garage, among other things. But I got in the garage, and I just went bonkers. I started cleaning everything. I'm sweeping, getting the cobwebs out. I took our lawnmower out, and I hosed it off and washed it kind of like you would a car. I told you, it's a sickness. It comes over me sometimes, all right? And I cleaned all the ca cabinets out in there and organized all the boxes and cleaned the drawers and got the tools looking just so and outlined them there on the little board and hung them up. And I just, I went bonkers. I spent all day in there. Our garage was just a picture. It could have been in a magazine for what a garage should look like. But when mom came home, she saw that I really did a good job on the garage, but when she asked me about the other things, I didn't get to them. I did one thing really, really well. I put a lot of attention in one thing, but I kind of skipped out on the other things. And although there was one list with a variety of items, I was to do each of the items on the list. 
I have found that many times we do that same type of thing in our spiritual lives. We have a God who has shared with us what it is we're to do in life, and we pick out the one or two things we, we really like, the things that seem uh, really important to us, and sometimes we neglect the other things in His Word. We're in the midst of a study we're calling CORE, going through the last statement of Jesus Christ before He went back to heaven. It's called the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, we find one list that Jesus gives, so to speak, to the church. It's a to-do list. We're using this analogy. And, and he shared with us, here's what you're to do. You're to tell other people how they can become Christians too. And those that become Christians, they're to be baptized. And, and uh, we talked about salvation on, on Easter Sunday. And, and then we had baptism Sunday a couple weeks ago. We had 30 people baptized last Sunday, another four. And, and then he said, in the final part, I want you to teach people how they can know the truth and grow in the truth and then share the truth with others. This is the Great Commission. God gave us one commission, but it contains a process that needs to be completed. Now, I have found that many Christians and many churches, and I include myself in the list of Christians and our church in the list of churches, I think there are many Christians and many churches that oftentimes really excel in one part of the Great Commission, and sometimes we neglect other parts. I've known ministries, frankly, that were just outstanding at getting the gospel message out. And this much I know, you cannot be baptized and go to heaven if you're a Christian. And you cannot know much about the Bible and go to heaven if you're a Christian. I, I can see how, how many would consider that to be the most important. But if God gives us a list, it's all most important. And some ministries would, would have a great evangelistic thrust, but, but you don't often see much fruit. It doesn't remain very long. And, and you don't see a lot of people growing in the Lord sometimes in, in a situation like that. Yet, I've also known other ministries that just really only emphasize Bible teaching, what we call discipleship. And they just would talk all the time about getting in the Word and, and studying the Bible. And invariably what happens in a, in a church that takes on this mindset is, is that the a average age in that church, it grows and grows and grows and grows because you're not seeing new, new life. You're not seeing new people coming into the church. And, and many times what happens in a setting like that is we kind of get the us four, no more, shut the door, let's get in the Bible and study the finer points of the finer points. And, and we're not reaching anybody with what we learn. And so we get very, very fat spiritually. But it's of no value to us or anybody else if we don't apply what we know. And so Jesus left us one great commission with three components. We're to share the gospel. We're to baptize those that get saved. And we're to help one another to know the truth and to grow in the truth. And what I'm trying to do through this series is to help our church understand the importance of obeying the great commission in its entirety. Now, again, on a given Sunday, I may preach only on salvation or, as we did a couple weeks ago, only on baptism or only on studying the Bible. But over the course of time, there really needs to be a balance that emerges in our lives and, and in the life of a healthy church where we focus on that which Jesus Christ told us to focus. And the Great Commission was given to the church. And guess what, friends? That's us today. If you're a person of faith and uh, we're here together, this, this is the church and this Great Commission was for us. If you're able this morning, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to the Bible, Matthew chapter 28, and uh, we've been in this text now for some time, continuing in our study, Matthew chapter 28, and uh, I'll begin reading in verse 19. The Bible says this, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, we've spent quite a bit of time, uh, three or four weeks, I guess, in verse 19, where we've emphasized the importance of the gospel message, the importance of believers' baptism. But as we make our way into verse 20 today, I want you to take note with me a word near the beginning of this verse, where the Bible says this, teaching them to observe. And I want to talk today really just about that word observe and how it's used in this verse and how it's relevant to us today. And believe me when I tell you, God has a lot to share with us in this text this morning. And so I hope we'll, we'll get involved and we'll, we'll, we'll just invest our heart in this time. And uh, I think we'll be glad we did. And so I'm going to pray today, as I always do, before we enter into study. And I'm going to ask God to help me. And while I'm praying, I hope in your heart you'll be praying. And God, help me to be a good student. And as we're working together down here today, hopefully the Lord will look down and say, they're, they're studying. They're doing it right. They're working. And I love the thought of that. So let's pray together. Our Father, thank you that you are a God of love. And a God who's given us a clear understanding what it is that we're to be busy about as, as believers as we gather together. And we can see also how this is to be emphasized in our lives as individuals. Help us in this study. Uh, I pray that I'd be diligent to seek to share the truth. And may all of us today be diligent to learn the truth and live it. Uh, use this time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks a lot. You can be seated. Let's get the picture once again. Jesus Christ had invested a ministry three years long, a relatively short ministry, pouring his life into the lives of those who followed him. And the closest followers of Jesus Christ, we often call the disciples or, or the apostles. And Jesus shared with them and he taught them and he loved them and he helped them. And, and uh, he did his best to say the things that would be very helpful uh, for them. He brilliantly and perfectly laid a foundation that would allow them to go on and do well and succeed. But about the time they were really getting excited about what they were hearing from Christ, he was crucified on what we sometimes call an old rugged cross. And it blew their minds. That's not how it's supposed to go. That's not what's supposed to happen. And, and they were discouraged until they heard something. They heard that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And some of the things that Jesus had said that weren't making perfect sense are now starting to really come to life in their hearts. And they were glad to hear that Jesus rose from the dead. But they were even more thankful when they had an opportunity to meet him personally and to see him with their own eyes. In fact, the Bible tells us on one occasion, Jesus Christ stood in the presence of more than 500 people, revealing to them that he indeed had conquered sin, death, the grave, and hell. Jesus had risen again. And so now there's this new focus on, on, on uh, uh, what Christ had given them to do and then prior to Jesus going back to heaven he's got one final opportunity to speak with his followers as he was closing his final statement he said this teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you now in our study in verse 19 we found the word teach did we not the Bible begins in verse 19 by saying go ye therefore and teach and we came to understand that that word teach is a word in the language of the new testament mathetuo it means to teach people how to become a christian literally the word means to make a disciple so it all begins as we teach the gospel message we we witness we share our faith we we go soul winning as some have said and in verse 20 we find the word teach used again verse 20 says teaching them 
to observe. And the word teach in verse 20 is a very, very different word than the word in verse 19. The word teach in the original language of the New Testament in verse 20 is the word didasko or didaskalos. And, and I mention that for this reason. Maybe if you're involved in teaching, somewhere along the line in your training, you've, you've learned about didactic teaching. It means line upon line, precept upon precept. It has the idea of a scope and a sequence. It has the idea of a curriculum. You know where the student is, and you know where you hope the student will go in the course of time. And you can hear that in this word, uh, didaskalos. And and that is what the Bible is saying here. As we see people get taught the gospel message, they come to know Jesus. Then they're to be baptized. And then they're to be taught to observe all those things that Jesus Christ shared with us along the way. Uh, so, what does a didaskalos type of a person do? Teaches the truth in a systematic way, a methodical way. Line upon line, precept upon precept is the idea. But there's another thought we have to get a hold of before we can move on in our study. If someone did that kind of teaching, they would be referred to as doing didaskalos. But there was an understanding in that word. There was something unique about that word. And the thought was this. If someone teaches like that, they're teaching from the foundation of a high moral standard. In other words, if you're going to be a sincere teacher, a true teacher that seeks to share the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in a systematic way, so you're covering it all, the idea was this. A person that does that, that's not to be done for selfish motive or selfish gain. And so if someone were referred to as this type of a teacher, the understanding was, you can trust this guy. They're trustworthy. That's how it should be. So when the Bible says teaching them to observe all things, what's it telling us to do? Share the truth, all of it, in in, in a real way, a relevant way, and in a thorough way. And then also the Bible is saying, as you're doing that, understand it's incumbent upon you in keeping with this word to live a life of integrity, a life of honesty, doing what you do for the right reasons, for the right motive. Now, this is a big part of what brings us together on Sundays. We worship the God through singing. We, we worship God through, through the offering. And, and I'm grateful for, for all of that. But when we come together like this on a weekly basis and we open our Bibles, which are our textbooks and study, we, we're getting in the Word of God and we're learning and, and we're growing. And, and, and this is a big part of what brings us together. And the great commission of Jesus Christ, it applies even to guys like me who are pastors of churches. The Apostle Paul one time was writing to a younger pastor by the name of Timothy, and I want you to listen to what Paul told Timothy. Look at these words here. He said, Timothy, preach the word. Now, the word preach and the word teach are very similar, but they are different. The word teach gives you the idea of headed straight for the mind, and that's good. The word preach, it goes to the mind, but through the mind, the target is the heart. In fact, the word preach comes from a word that means to blow a trumpet really loud. It means to be the town herald, the guy that stood in the middle of the town and said, Hear ye, hear ye, here's the news of the day. It's the idea of a passionate delivery. And so Paul said, Listen, Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Paul said, Timothy, let me help you know what kind of pastor you're to be. You are to patiently and faithfully teach the Bible in such a way that you expose error, that you give correction when needed, and that you encourage people along the way. That's what I'm to do. I'm to teach the truth of God's word as faithfully as I can. I'm to help people. But at times, I'm to expose error in the course of teaching the Bible. Hey, God says don't do this. And there are other times God says we need to be busy doing this. And and then I'm to encourage along the way. 
the Bible through the writing of Peter in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2 gives us more insight into what it is a pastor's to do. Feed the flock of God. Feed the flock of God. Now, the church is not our idea. Acts chapter 20, the Bible tells us that Jesus established the church. In fact, the idea of an under-shepherd, a pastor, who helps to minister and serve and care for the flock of God, that's not our idea, that was all God's idea. But I learned from this analogy that as a shepherd, I am to feed the flock of God. I'm to serve up spiritually nutritious, well-balanced meals. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. What's the Bible telling me specifically as a pastor here? That I'm to teach the Word of God faithfully. I'm to feed the flock. That in so doing, I'm to take oversight of the flock. So as I'm teaching the truth of God, as occasion arises, I provide direction for our church. Now, pastors aren't to be autocrats or dictators. I'm not that way. If you've been here more than once, you know that to be the case. But pastors in teaching the Word of God, inevitably, they give direction. Uh, They're they're inevitably helping people, and so the Bible says, I'm to serve up spiritually nutritious meals, provide direction, and as I do that, I'm to have a pure motive, not for filthy lucre. Here's what Peter was saying in that statement. Pastors, don't you ever do what you do for money. There's always a higher motive. I say, Pastor, why are you mentioning this aspect of it? Because that's what we're doing here today. We're teaching them to observe Hopefully I'm teaching the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I'm feeding the flock of God. And hopefully in my life, uh, I can say, you know something? Evaluate me and you'll come to the conclusion. The motive for the ministry here is not for any selfish gain, selfish uh, 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 things you can add to your life. It's so that people can be helped. We're to teach with a pure motive. And so pastors are included in the Great Commission. But listen, friends, the Great Commission is given to every believer. Jesus was talking to you as much as he was talking to me. And so the Great Commission here is given. And and we talk about the value, the importance of a church service like this. But, you know, this is why we have connection groups. This is why we have time set aside throughout the week, the majority of our groups meeting on Thursday, so we can get together with other, other people in the family of faith. And yes, spend a time in God's word, but also have a time for prayer requests and prayer and and to bear one another's burdens. And and here's what I know about life. In the course of time, all of us are going to go through some great victories in life. We're going to go through some real difficult times in life. Every one of us. Already this morning, I've heard some, some just incredible things that people in our church family have gone through. It's helpful to have a family of faith around you in the course of life. It helps us to observe those things that the Lord has given us to do. This is why we have our one on one discipleship time. And if you're here today and you're a new believer, Listen, you should have a lot of questions, and we've got an opportunity where uh, you can get together with a, a, a man or a lady, whatever the case may be, and, and there's, yes, there's a pattern of courses to study, but more than that, it's time to make a good friend, someone to whom you can ask questions, and, and it's a great experience where you can learn the fundamentals or the, uh, the rudiments of Christian living, and if you're here today and you're interested in that, I would encourage you, let that be a way in which you can learn and grow and, and add to your faith because your knowledge is growing all the time. You know, this is even why, frankly, we have like a men's prayer time on Saturday morning. I love the thought of men bending a knee saying, Lord, about 24 hours from now, we're going to be right in the middle of our Sunday morning. Bless it, use it, help it. But another part of that men's prayer time is the opportunity for us to share requests one with another and do what the Bible says when it tells us to bear one another's burdens. It's an opportunity to do life with one another. I like how Hebrews says this. 
Listen to the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 and verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Listen, when you come to church, this should be a place where people can provoke you. Now, that doesn't mean irritate, but, but it certainly means stimulated, where we're provoked to do what? Love and good works. It's been a good day when someone in the course of your time with the brothers and sisters you have in Christ have provoked you to love and to good works. But it's, it's even better when that's happened and we follow up with then provoking someone else to love and good works. The Bible says that the family of faith is a place where we receive the encouragement we need and it's a place where we give the encouragement that others need. Here's what I want you to understand about the church. In the church, we are all teachers... And we are all students, all at the same time. Every one of us. We have something to share, and we have that that we need to learn. Understand that we need each other. We need each other. Again, the church was God's idea, and I'd be the first one to tell you, I need your influence in my life. I need the encouragement you bring. I need the correction you bring. People in our church before have told me he said something wrong or he did something wrong. And, 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 and when the Bible corrects me, I, I'm, I'm the first to say, I want a correction like that. You've ministered to me. And I hope you could say you, you appreciate my influence in your life and, and the same for one another. We need each other. But here's the thing. As we come together, there's a world that does not yet know Jesus Christ, and they need us too. And so we encourage one another. We reach out with the gospel message and uh, I want us to think of that. Now, today, the, the approach to this text is just a little different. And I just want to really make two statements today, and, and we'll be through with this part of the verse. The first statement is this. We cannot lead others to observe what we have not observed. Now, look here for a moment. Uh, we often use the word observe, and we think of looking at something. If, if you're with someone and they go, hey, look, you're taking for granted they've seen something. And we can't make others see something that we haven't seen ourselves. I'll give you an example of this. As a teacher of the Bible, I've got to observe. I've got to observe. I've I've got to study. I've got to look. I've got to do my best to learn. And I'm making my way through the Bible. And and I'm studying and observing. And when I come to church on Sunday and we open the Bibles, essentially what I'm saying is, hey, look. Look what I've seen. Look what I found. And, And I want to share that with others. But if I haven't looked, I can't come and say to our church family, hey, look, look here. It can't be done. And we can't help others in their lives to observe something that we personally ourselves have not observed. If we're going to obey Christ's command to be a lifelong teacher, here's the thought. We have to commit to being a lifelong learner. A learner. And this is a place of learning. But friends, here's the thought. Not only is church a place of learning, we have to have a commitment in our hearts and lives to be a student personally. I'm all for church and small group and discipleship time. But in our lives, in our daily lives, we need to have a commitment to getting in the Word of God ourselves, reading the Bible. Now, I love how Solomon put this. Uh, It's a few verses, but I want us to look to it together in Proverbs chapter 2. And and let's think of these verses together where the Bible says this, and it starts, My son. So what is Proverbs? Well, it's a book of proverbial sayings. My son, written from a father to his sons. But when we take a step back, we can see this is God the Father sharing his heart with his children. And so when it says my son here, you just put your name in there, son or daughter. This is God sharing a truth with us. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, 
If thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I love the thought. Here's a heart of one who's crying after knowledge. And they're seeking. And they're searching. And the analogy we find in Scripture is as for hid treasure. For treasure. Years ago, I had an opportunity to go fishing with my granddad. And we'd fish many times in the same spot. In fact, a lot of you guys have been with me on our trips to Colorado. And we fished at Groundhog Lake. And, and I remember one day I was there fishing with my granddad. And we threw our lines in. And, and uh, I was younger. I'm still impatient. I was more impatient then. And, and you know, when, when boys go fishing, they all the time want to reel their line in. And good fishermen know, just leave it in the water. The hook that's in the water the longest has the greatest chance of, of catching a fish. And, and we kept seeing it looked like little bites, but they were so small. And after a while, my granddad relented, and he let me reel my line in. He reeled his line in, and both of us had lost our bait. So we rebaited our hooks. We threw our line out, and again, same thing's happening. After a few minutes, we reel in. Our bait's gone. And my, my granddad came to understand what was happening. We weren't getting bites from fish. There were crawdads out there. And the crawdads were eating our bait, and it was just, you know, such a minor thing they're doing that it wasn't like a major bite, and, and uh, so now we have a problem. So we rigged our poles up to keep the bait away from the crawdads and, and threw it out. But when I realized, hey, there's crawdads in there, my life took on a new mission for the rest of that day. So I've got my pants rolled up, and I'm walking around the shallow water, and I'm turning over rocks, and lo and behold, I'm finding crawdads. And I thought my granddad was getting irritated with me, but I found a big one. He came over and looked at it. You know, he thought it was pretty neat. And so I'm walking around. I'm turning over every rock, and I'm expecting to find a crawdad under every rock. And if there's not one under that rock, it's because he just ran to the next one. And I was having a great time. I was searching. I was seeking like hid treasure. Here I am fumbling around in these rocks looking for crawdads. And we didn't catch many fish that day, but I had a great time catching crawdads. And I want you to know today we need to get into our bibles in the same way a boy would go after crawdads i mean we need to have a heart of expectation that we're gonna find a nugget of truth we we need to have a heart that says this god i want my marriage to be all it can be and i know you know more about marriage than anybody you performed the first wedding for pete's sake in the garden of, of eden and and god i'm gonna dig through the scriptures to find the nuggets i need god i need your help parenting uh, Lord, uh, I, I know you're a great father and you've got much to teach me. Help me to learn all that I need to know. Maybe it's a financial issue and you're looking for a principle that will help you and give you guidance. We need like we're searching for treasure to get in the word of God and read it and, and let it teach us so that we can grow. It's so important. The Apostle Paul in speaking also to this young pastor, Timothy, he said this. Think of what he said. Study. Study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I even like that expression, rightly dividing. I mean, the word of God has divisions in it. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament for starters, and it's broken down beyond that. There is so much to know about the word of God. It's a powerful book. It's a living book. It'll change your life, and it'll change my life. The Bible teaches us we need to be people of the book. And Paul said, look, let me sum it up for you in one word. Study. Study. And I want to encourage every believer to spend time each day reading God's word. It's words from God to us. And we need to read his word. You see, we cannot lead others to observe what we have not observed. And the second statement is this, and it's similar to the first. We cannot lead others to observe something that we are not observing. We cannot lead others to observe something that we're not observing. Now, when we started this, I shared with you that when we hear the word observe, we think of looking at something. 
If you said, I just have observed something, I would think, all right, you've just looked intently at something. But the word observe in this text, it really has more an idea of, of uh, obeying something. One of the definitions was to keep. And uh, so the idea here in the word observe isn't just looking, seeing something. It's about doing something. It's about activity, observing, obeying, follow through. And, and, and here's the thought. As we are learning and teaching, we are also to be obeying as we go. Here's, here's the truth of your life and mine. All of us, all of the time, are teaching, even when our mouth is shut. We're teaching by way of example. And sometimes we're teaching with a good example, and frankly, sometimes we're all teaching by way of a not-so-good example. But all of us are communicating our values even when we're not talking, by what we do, by how we do what we do. We're sharing with others what we think is important, and we're teaching all of the time. And and that's a reality. But the fact of the matter is we're not going to be effective in helping people grow to a place where they observe what Jesus told them to observe, observe if we're not living it ourselves. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, as he got started, he started and he uses kind of some flowery language, but I want us to think of of what Luke had to say here, uh, specifically about Jesus Christ. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, and I know that sounds strange, but Luke's talking to Theophilus and telling him, you know, referring back to some other things. And then he says this, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. That was something he thought we needed to understand, we needed to get a hold of. He said, let me tell you something about Jesus. There were some things he did, and there were some things he taught, and the two came together. Uh, there, there There was union there. He did, and he taught. There was a match there. This was a man that talked the talk, and he walked the walk. It all came together. Jesus was set apart in the sense that he and his message became one. He believed what he said. He said what he believed, and his actions were consistent with it all. And friends, listen. There should be a profound longing in our hearts to live authentic and sincere lives that grow in the truth and share the truth and live the truth. That's what fulfilling the Great Commission will bring us to do. Have lives that are consistent with the word. Paul, another time, was writing to another young pastor named Titus. And in in Titus 2.7, he said this, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Paul told Titus not just to talk the talk as he taught the doctrine, but he said, you know, as you do that, showing uncorruptness with sincerity. Titus, you need to teach the truth, but you need to live the truth, buddy. Think of that. Um, Several years ago now, Lisa asked me if I would go to the doctor and have a physical. And uh, I I guess she likes me. That's kind of how I took it. You know, she wanted me to make sure everything was working right. And and I hadn't had a physical since I was a senior in high school. You had to have a physical to play sports where I went to school. And maybe all schools are that way. I don't know. But it had been a quite a while since I've been to the doctor and and so I relented and, and I went to the doctor and you know you go down there and it's it's let's face it it's an uncomfortable experience you know there's just nothing you, you like about it uh you know the gowns aren't exactly flattering and and uh, they typically take a little blood out of you and I prefer to remain on the inside and it's you know it's not a real comfortable procedure and so uh, I went in there and I'm going through all this you know and I'm, I'm sitting up on this little paper on this little bed thing I guess table 
And, and the doctor comes in, and, and I say doctor, I don't think he was a doctor. I think there's another title for specifically what he was. But, but anyhow, he came in and was going to ask the questions. And, and uh, you, you know, they're leading questions, and they're probing questions, and they're uh, trying to communicate the, the importance of health and healthy living. And, and so they ask a lot of different things. You, know, you, got, you guys have all been through this. But as this guy came in, he was in much worse shape than I was. And uh, he smelled of smoke, and I only mention that to say about every other question was about tobacco use, you know. And so here's this guy, and I, you, know, I'm, you can just imagine. You can paint this up as big as you'd like, and you'd probably still be a little bit short. Here's this guy that he was not the picture of healthy living. He was the picture of unhealthy living, okay? And, and I'm thinking for a minute here, this is the guy that's going to tell me how to live healthy. Uh, I need to help him. I, hey, hey, buddy, hop up on this table here if you can hop up that high, you know. Okay, if you get up there, and I, I'm going to help you out. Uh, listen, don't you know that that's going to kill you and you got to do this and you should take a walk sometimes. I, I mean, I, I probably could have said things that, that would have helped him. And so I'm, I'm thinking for a minute, there's this confliction. This is the guy that's going to tell me how to live, but he's not even doing the stuff he's, he's talking to me about. And I think we all understand that, that kind of confliction. Let me tell you something. I don't want to be that kind of father to my children. Hey, quit arguing with one another as I'm arguing with, with my wife, their mom. Be, be nice to one another. Be kind. Be giving. And, and then I'm screaming at the guy that cuts me off on the freeway. You know. You see, our kids see right through that. We can say the right things, but if our life's not backing up what we're talking about, do you understand what I'm saying? We undercut all that we've said. Let me tell you something that's true about your children. It's true about my children, uh, particularly if raised in a Christian home. They almost never, almost never, it's almost a rule. There are few exceptions. They almost never surpass the level of faith that their mom and dad had. And I don't want to say anything or do anything that would prohibit the growth in the faith life of my children. Now, many of you here today, you're first generation Christians. You, you've got a new branch on your family tree with Christians and you're the first one. And, and that's great. And frankly, situations like that, that's the situation where obviously you, you learn more than maybe maybe those you're, you're, you're coming from, your family, just because you're, you're a new believer. And that's awesome. But many times in Christian homes, I, I've, I've seen this happen many times. We can look right and we play the part and we go to church and we hear the truth. And then our children sometimes see there's an incongruence. It doesn't jive. Our words and actions don't match. And so our words lose all power. And we can't help someone observe something we haven't observed, but we can't help someone to observe something that we're not observing, that we're not living and breathing and doing as God would have us do. I don't want to be that kind of dad. I certainly don't want to be that kind of pastor. Listen, nobody wants a pastor who's going to come up and say, listen, uh, we have a special offering coming up. We've got to build the building. Everybody put money in the offering, and then I don't tithe and give offerings and do that myself. Nobody would want a pastor like that. And here's the reality. Some of those things maybe I could hide. We're all really good at hiding things, right? But God sees my heart. And I know there's an impact there's a reduction of power in my parenting, power in my pastoring when, when my words and my actions don't match. But more than I don't want to be a, a father or a husband or a pastor that way, I don't want to be a Christian that way. I don't want to be an insincere, inauthentic Christian. I want to be the real deal. And, and I want to do right. I want to honor Jesus with my life. Now, maybe the most impactful life ever lived for Christ was the life lived by the Apostle Paul. Amazing, amazing. Uh, not only did he write most of the New Testament, 
uh, most of the New Testament, many parts that he didn't write are about his life. For example, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, we mentioned that a moment ago. A big part of Acts just tells the story of the early days and all the way through the ministry of Paul. And so huge, huge influence uh, in, in church history. And there's a verse that to me is so key as to how he made an impact in his life. Now, we're just about done. I want you to just focus in on these words and see what it is that, that, that Paul said. Writing to the believers in Philippi, he said, you know, those things that, that you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do those things. Unbelievable. Paul was not bragging. He was just simply saying, um, guys, um, you know, the things that like I've been saying when we're teaching and stuff and and all the things you've been seeing me do and maybe you've heard about it or you've, you've watched me, just everything I've been doing, just do that and you'll you'll be fine. Amazing. Now, Paul followed the pattern of Jesus Christ. That's why there was power in his pattern. But he said, you know, the things you've learned and received, and heard, and seen in me, yeah, do that, do that. If we hope to live a life of a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ that helps others become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that the teachings of Christ and the life of Christ come together in our life. We need to talk the talk as we've seen in and walk the walk. And Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You see, a good teacher doesn't just tell people what to do. That's a poor teacher. A good teacher models that which needs to be done as they teach about it. There's an old saying that, that says this, teach me and I will forget. Show me and I'll remember Involve me, and I will understand. As Jesus gave the Great Commission, he was teaching us about a life that we call a life of discipleship, and it begins when we come to understand personally the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that message is this. We're all sinners. We all deserve to pay for our sin, every one of us. But God loved us and paid for it, and we, we come to embrace Jesus as our Savior. We accept him by faith. And then when someone does that, they follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And then finally, we understand that all of us are teachers and students all of the time, everywhere we go, in our words and in our actions. And a disciple is someone that, according to God's definition, has someone else in their life that they're all the time telling about Jesus and, and bringing them along. I wonder, how are you doing in the life of a disciple Jesus Christ, in his last expression, among the last words that he shared, told us that he wants us to, to help others to do what he's taught needs to be done. And that means we'll have to say some things, and we'll have to live some things. And Jesus said, this is the life that I have for you. I want us to think on this today. Would you all be so kind as to join me in standing, and we'll be through in just a moment. Why don't we just bow our heads in, in a spirit of prayer and 